Hello, everybody, and welcome to Indie Cult, the podcast where we discuss the struggles and learning experiences of independent artists and creative minds. I am George, and today I am joined by... Hello, I'm Evan. Welcome, Evan. It's been quite a while since we last recorded. In fact, a lot has happened since we last recorded. Isn't that right? The world world has continued to spin. A little look behind the curtain, I guess. Um, this podcast was never meant to really touch on anything topical. It's always just been about exploring the process of independent artists and filmmakers, people who are just people like us in our positions who are just now starting to really plunge into the filmmaking world and learning the the ins and outs of how to how to make movies and short films and that sort of thing and any other independent creative endeavor. Um, So it never really mattered when we would record episodes and what we talked about because it was never meant to talk about anything current. Um, And so a lot of the time we would just record a lot of episodes at once and kind of just release them weekly. The last three episodes that we released were actually all recorded in a single day. So we actually haven't recorded for a few weeks now. Um, and since then, was we had the killing of, of George Floyd, and that's something that you didn't hear us mention at all on the podcast because none of the recordings that have happened since then were actually recorded after that time. It was recorded all before when George Floyd was still alive and not killed. So I, I just wanted to illustrate that so so we're not giving off some sort of impression that we're not aware or intentionally ignoring it. Um, it's just that this podcast was never made to discuss current events and current issues. So we never really, um, it never really mattered what was going on in the world when we were recording. But I felt that it would we would be remiss to not at least acknowledge um, that that tragedy occurred and, you know, there's protests all across the country for it, uh, rightfully so. You know, there's nothing that we can say that hasn't been said by people way more qualified than us to speak on the matter. But I just wanted to, 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 put, to put it out there that, that our, our hearts um, and thoughts go out to um, George Floyd's family and everyone else who feels and who has been uh, a victim of of police brutality or or police misconduct or any sort of misconduct and racist behavior everything that's going on has, has made me even reflect on uh s- some of my favorite films growing up were were and still are horror films and um i guess on the front even the way people of color are not only casted but portrayed in a lot of horror films uh, speaks to some of the issues we continue to face today. There's that there's that cliche, right? The the black guy always dies in the horror movie. Yeah, well, either that or there's some uh, voodoo king, right? Or, or right. they're in touch with the supernatural elements, you know, almost uh, 
segregated from us. You know, uh, speaking of, 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 of horror movies, that's really interesting that you brought that up because uh, director um, George Romero, he was uh, pretty known for casting black people in prominent roles in mm-hmm. his movies. This is in the 60s and the 70s when it really wasn't commonplace to do that. And, and, and the fact that they were black didn't matter. It wasn't part of the story or anything like that. They were... He would cast black people um, in in starring roles, and the fact that they were black was inconsequential to to anything that was happening. And that was that was considered a very he, that was he was considered a pioneer almost in, in that regard for for cinema. We see on how how well it worked out even in uh, the, the original right the Night of the Living Dead. Right, right. The main character in Night of the Living Dead. Which was made in the sixties? Was it was it 1960 exactly? Somewhere around that, maybe a little bit later. Well, regardless, in the sixties, um, the main character was black. I don't even think it was mentioned or addressed or anything like that. And not that it should be, but for that time, that was not the standard. That was that was a very new thing to do. Mm-hmm. And and you know, obviously. He's also the godfather of, of, of zombie movies. He mm-hmm. made the current version of, of zombies. But besides, that's probably yeah. what he's most known for is being the father of the godfather of zombies. But, but yeah, he was, he was really progressive when it came to his casting choices. Yes. And uh, I think it's uh, a matter that, that Wes Craven also in a number of ways tackles. Uh, it's never more in your face than in... Uh, the people under the stairs right that really spells it out for you if if you haven't picked up on his feelings uh, on the matter yeah i mean and then you also look at movies like Candyman. Mm -hmm. tony todd yeah yeah or tony todd played i mean you know he played the villain but Mm -hmm. still i mean i guess it's it's the 90s at that point so obviously it's not as uh, radical to have uh, black people in starring roles at that point anymore, but mm-hmm. but you know just in the context of of black people in in the horror world, and now there's going to be a, a I don't know if it's a remake or or a reboot um, of of Candyman that Jordan Peele is producing, and he's become um, a very prominent uh, black filmmaker in the horror genre, which is not very commonplace. It took um, me by complete surprise. Yeah, and it not because he's black, but because he came from sketch comedy and it was just not expected that that the guy from Mad TV and Key and Peel would mm-hmm. end up being one of the, the one of the best new faces in horror. Yeah. Or it, maybe not a face since he's behind the camera at this point, but new new creative uh minds in horror with with Get Out and and us. And again, you know, putting black people and black families in in the the spotlight. Yeah, sure. If he came out and did Candyman, I would have said the, the guy from Key and Peele. But he's, you know, even through those two films, he, he proved so much. Yeah, and he's not directing Candyman. He's pro- producing, I think, and co-writing. Just, hmm. Yeah. And uh, speaking of... Uh, Candyman. I mean, how do you feel about that getting? I think it's supposed to be 
it, I think it's supposed to be a sequel, but also kind of a reintroduction for like newer audiences. What do you think about what do you think about a Candyman reboot or re? I don't know. I don't know what to call it. It's not really a re. I guess it's a reboot, but it's also a sequel. How do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, I'm really curious. I haven't, I haven't read too much about it. Although there there are already a number of sequels, I wonder if they will take those into consideration. They will take the first one into consideration, or is it you're saying it's just a a, a bit of a of a reboot and a sequel in some ways? I don't think much is revealed. My understanding of it is that it stand it's going to stand on its own, but it will also take into consideration the previous Candyman movies. Like, they're not a prerequisite to follow the movie. It's a standalone movie, mm-hmm. but it doesn't ignore the history of the uh, of that the previous movies have established. It sounds similar to what they did with Hellraiser, where there were some better sequels and some, let's say, less than favorable sequels. And they were more or less, like you said, standalone films. You, you didn't really need to watch any of the sequels before to, to understand... Uh, who Hellraiser was or where it was going. Yeah, Pinhead. Yes, Pinhead. The yeah, Senegal. uh I th- yes. <laughs> I think I think that's 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 the um that's the sense that I get. I guess you can you can liken it to the 2011 The Thing mm-hmm. where it's a prequel to John Carpenter's The Thing, mm-hmm. but it stands alone. You don't need to have seen John Carpenter's mm-hmm. movie in order to understand anything that's happening in that movie. And I guess that's also why they feel comfortable just titling it The Thing and also just titling it Candyman. Yeah. If you know just a little bit about Candyman, it probably draws you in to be interested. I, I'm I'm certainly interested in, in learning what they do from it, even just discussing, you know, any of those possibilities. Yeah, definitely. I well, what, what do you think about the concept of? It's very popular and commonplace, especially now. This idea of of remakes and reboots and reimaginings and sequels and prequels. I mean, sequels and prequels. That's that's mm-hmm. age old. But but what do you feel about the whole concept of of just these movies that are basically not the same movie, but a, sometimes they're basically the same movie. Hmm. But sometimes it's it's movies about just the same characters over and over again. Reboots, reimaginings, mm-hmm. remakes. How, how do you feel about that whole idea and how prevalent it is, um, especially like post-2000? Especially. It's always been, but especially post-2000. I'm a firm believer in the idea that there's no, there's no new idea under the sun. And sometimes we draw a lot of inspiration from different films. And sometimes uh, making the same film again with slight twists can just be... A little bit more fun if not anything else sometimes it's upsetting because they seem to be or a lot of the times maybe they seem to be making or remaking or rebooting a film only for uh filling the seats or for making money and there's no there's no real maybe creative or artistic uh merit to the film um some of some of the there's some amazing remakes 
John Carpenter's The Thing, for example, is a, is a remake itself. The original film is good, and there might be p- people who argue that they like the original better, although uh, I think the remake, the reimagining, um, you know, uh, is is my favorite. And that's probably because it draws so much from H.P. Lovecraft, which the original film uh, did not take as much from. So I think it's I think that some great films can come from reimaginings or reboots or remakes. It's just a lot of the time they're being made solely for financial reasons, which is unfortunate. I think that's that's the big difference. Like for me personally, a, a lot of my favorite movies are in fact remakes, like The Thing mm-hmm. or Scarface, yeah. which is little known. I f- I encounter a lot yeah. of people that don't realize that that uh, De Palma Scarface is a remake of Howard Hawks's movie Scarface uh-huh. uh, from the 30s. But The Thing, Scarface, The Fly, um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, oh, yeah. like those are some of my favorite movies, and they're all remakes. Yes. Um, and I think that's that's what you said is really what it is. If the decision is, oh, this is a popular movie, so let's remake it because we'll sell a lot of tickets and we'll make a lot of money just from the title. Like that's, I think most of the time that's the wrong way to go about a remake or a sequel or or whatever. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time you're, you have the, you decide to make the movie before you know what the movie is. And mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're making a really difficult, you're putting up a really difficult task. To have the idea first and say, oh man, like, you know, I saw the thing from another world and that really inspired me to to, to, to make a version of that. Mm-hmm. That is the, and I'm not saying that's what John Carpenter was thinking. I'm just using that as an example. That's the, that to me is the right way to think about doing a remake. Mm-hmm. When the original gives you an inspiration to, to make something more from it or, or give it an interesting twist. You know, sometimes you watch a movie and you're like, oh man, like, why couldn't they do it like this? And it's like, well, maybe you should try and do it like that. And maybe mm-hmm. that's better. It's true that you, you never know what what inspiration will come from. Sometimes it's it's books, sometimes it's other films. What starts as, as a little idea can grow into something much larger and we shouldn't be afraid to tap into it. It's just when it's uh, exploited for monetary gain, it seems to be um, polluted. Yeah, and that's how you end up with, you know, all these endless, endless sequels, sequel upon sequel upon sequel upon sequel. And look, sequels do really well at, at the box office because audiences feel very comfortable going into a movie that's a sequel because they already know the characters. They don't have to learn about new characters and, 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 and introducing new characters and who they are. You already know. You know you're know. Mm-hmm. you going in to see whatever, a Captain America movie. You know Captain America because you saw the last Captain America movie. Mm-hmm. You know, There's no time that, that, that you're not investing in something unknown. You know it. You're comfortable with it. And... And from a storytelling perspective, you can just jump right into it. You can just jump right into it. You don't have to build up and introduce all these new characters. Yeah. I, I suppose it's not until a lot of people are far down the line and they've 
killed the series that they decide to uh, give it some time before uh, revitalizing it with a reboot or a remake of the original. Yeah, the, there, there's a breaking point, right? There's only so many, you know, mm-hmm. subpar sequels that you can churn out before audiences like, oh, well, I'm not going to see the new so-and-so series movie mm-hmm. because the last five <laughs> were, were, were terrible. Yeah. But okay. audiences feel comfortable going to see a, mo- a sequel because they're familiar with it. They, they, they yeah. know it. It's, it's, it's reassuring. They don't have to gamble mm-hmm. on something new. Maybe that's part of the allure even of remakes. You know, I kind of know about this, but I'm curious to see what they'll do different. Yeah, I I would prefer if remakes were not of such like beloved movies. Yeah. You know, like you you make remakes of like super popular, super well-liked movies. And it's like, I mean, the the, the challenge of trying to to match that movie or surpass Mm -hmm. it is almost impossible you know you start to ask well did it really need to be remade especially i mean if we bring in psycho right shot for shot what what exactly was the point of remaking this film you might have probably could have just re-released it that year saved a ton of money psycho is a prime example of a remake gone wrong because like you said it was it was shot for shot. Like, all they did was replace the actors, mm-hmm. but every shot was, I mean, unless I'm mistaken, but many, based on from many, what many. I saw, every shot, for the most part at least, was exactly the same. What's the point? You're not doing anything fresh with it. You're doing the exact same thing. I mean, it, was it just like Psycho is such a great movie, but it's from the 60s, it's in black and white. Let's just do it for a more for people who don't want to watch old movies. Is that what it was? That's the only thing I can think of. It's interesting because color uh, or the choice to shoot black black and white by Hitchcock was was a di- directorial move. He could have easily shot color at that point. It's it's something he did before that film came out. Yeah, or they could have just co- colorized it if people didn't <laughs> want to watch a black and white. I'd rather I'd rather that because they did colorize a bunch of Hitchcock movies. Um, from before like like rope i've seen rope in black and white and i've seen it in color yeah i i it's, it's interesting on other levels too because some films uh were printed let's say just black and white for for tv and i've heard that uh, one of those is rear window that there are some uh prints floating around of rear window being printed for uh tv and they were in black and white and uh the feeling that you get from watching Rear Window in black and white is is, is a heavy noir feeling. You know, the idea mm. that choosing uh, color or black and white can ultimately impact uh, the end result is, is really interesting. And, you know, well, in this case, right, for Hitchcock, he chose black and white for a certain reason. I can't tell you what that reason is, but it was obviously a choice. Color was an option for him. Yeah, and I think you, you got to respect that. I mean, I was only I was only kidding around about like colorizing it, but I do <laughs> genuinely think that would be better than a shot for shot remake. And I don't know what you would get artistically out of doing a shot for shot remake. I mean, you might as well have just said that that version of Psycho was also directed by <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock at that point. Maybe it was a expense write off and a way to get people in the in seats. Who knows? Seems financial. Whatever. That's, I mean, that, that that's what it is a lot of the time, unfortunately. It's just, oh, let's let's try to milk this a little bit 
and mm-hmm. You know, fine. I mean, there's room in the in in the market for those movies as well, but you can't expect it to be as well received because mm-hmm. there's no there's no there's no desire there's no desire for it. You know, like like for example, um, mm-hmm. the Ghostbusters remake. Yeah, like the go the original Ghostbusters is such a beloved movie that a remake was not necessary for it and and but people seem to be much more excited about the 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 new one that's going to come out which is a third installment in the original series that people are more excited about because it's just a continuation of the story rather than wiping the slate clean introducing you with a new team Mm -hmm. i don't take issue with the idea of doing an all-female ghostbusters yeah um i would have more i would have preferred it if the story was the original Ghostbusters are passing the torch to, to the new Ghostbusters and, mm-hmm. and you know, they can be all female. I think that that's fine. That, that, that can work. Um, but then that movie didn't really capture the, the charm that the original movie had. Uh, I was just going to say it, it felt like it was, it was done to put people in the seats as opposed to, you know, uh, to create, uh, to go through this creative endeavor of, of making it a proper film. Yeah, I I don't I don't know for sure what it was. Yeah, it felt like that because the Ghostbusters or the original Ghostbusters is is a beloved movie by by almost everybody. Nobody mm-hmm. so it's hard for me to look at the original Ghostbusters and say, yeah, this could use a remake. This could be done better. I mean, maybe some tweaks here and there could have been made maybe, but mm-hmm. overall to to remake it, I mean, I I I would not want to be the one tasked with that. And also one of the things that one of the big elements that I think worked so well was for the Ghostbusters was Ernie Hudson's character. Mm-hmm. He was such a great addition to the to that um, cast because he did he wasn't in the movie right in the beginning like he yeah. joined the Ghostbusters team like a little bit later on in the movie, mm-hmm. but he was such a good addition because he and he just so happened to be to be black, but that's mm-hmm. not why he was a good addition. <laughs> But he was such a good addition because he was the audience. You know, he was the outsider who was being thrusted into this bizarre group of people who's doing this craziness of hunting ghosts. And he embodied how the audience felt. He was the audience's Mm -hmm. representation on screen. Sometimes the audience needs that. Yeah, you've got this colorful cast of characters and they're all fun and entertaining, but nobody you can relate to is on screen. But there comes in Ernie Hudson and he is playing the audience he is the person who's like fuck man like what what is this shit this is this is insanity that's us and that's why we needed that and that's something that the remake didn't have it didn't have that relatable person for the audience to connect to it had it had the colorful zany characters but it didn't have the relatable character for the audience to latch on to and be in their shoes we were in ernie hudson's shoes in the original ghostbusters Mm -hmm. That 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 cast, uh, the, we could go through a number of reasons, I guess, that that the the reasons why that film works and and the new one doesn't. It's it's missing, it's missing probably a few things, and one of it might be um, just uh, really taking a fresh take on it. Yeah, and now now they're gonna do 
Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is essentially Ghostbusters 3. Yeah. And that's a continuation to the original series and not a continue not involved at all with the with the with the remake. And you know, it's funny like we are able to kind of follow when they do this stuff, like they did it with Halloween multiple times. Um but to like casual audiences, I can really see how fucking confusing it can be when you've got multiple timelines going simultaneously, right? Yeah. Like like Halloween especially, like the the new Halloween that came out a few years ago, that's a that's a sequel to the original Halloween movie, John Carpenter's Halloween, and it ignores every single sequel and the two Rob Zombie remakes as well. Meanwhile, they already did that with Halloween H2O. H2O? Yeah, I think that's yeah. right. The 20 years later, yeah. Mm-hmm. They already did that where they ignored a whole bunch of the previous movies um, for Halloween. And the new Halloween is called Halloween, and that's actually the third Halloween movie that's only called Halloween. Yeah. I, I mean, I can really see audiences getting confused. It's it's definitely confusing. Even, you know, how do you name it at that point? I You brought up a- a point that I find interesting and maybe I could connect it a few you know, ways. You know how you name it? Halloween 2 2. That's what they should have called it. Halloween 2 2? Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to say? I bring up an interesting point. Uh, Rob Zombie, a number of years later, made his, I guess he has his reimagining or his reboots of, of Halloween. And um, I can appreciate when there's a, a deviation when someone does it a particular uh, style and Rob Zombie has his own style, and I think that works for the audience that he aims at. Uh, but those sort of reimaginings and reboots are also uh, important a lot of times, right? Uh, if it wasn't for Tim Burton and and his version of Batman, who knows what the landscape of superhero movies would be like today? And it still doesn't take anything away from uh, uh, Nolan and 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 Bale's Batman films. Yeah, well, before you get before you go on to Batman, because I do want to talk about Batman. Okay. Um, I, I wanted to say something about Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yeah. So, even though I don't like Rob Zombie's version of Halloween as much as I like John Carpenter's version, mm-hmm. I really appreciated Rob Zombie's angle on it, where he so typically in horror movies, the movie the story is told from the victim's perspective. Why? Because if you want to scare an audience, you got to put them in the position of the victim so you can identify with the victim, relate to the victim, feel what the victim is feeling. It's scarier when you're in the house and you don't know what's going on, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rob Zom- and that's that's the approach that the original Halloween took. Classic approach. It's almost like a no-brainer to go that way. Mm-hmm. Rob Zombie could have easily done the same thing and it would have not been as interesting, but he did something different. He told it from the killer's perspective. He told it from Michael Myers' perspective. Now, is it as scary? Maybe not. I mean, he kind of made up for that by making it really, really brutal and really, really violent. Yeah. But you're in Michael Myers' perspective. Does it work as well for a horror? Probably not, but it was a fresh take. You learn about his childhood a little bit more. It kind of gives a little bit of a psychology 
to why he's he's a deranged killer. John Carpenter almost went with this like not supernatural but almost yeah. supernatural version of Michael Myers where he's mm-hmm. just pure evil and his body type doesn't match his strength. You yeah. know, so it's not supernatural because he's not like superhumanly strong, but for his body type, he is. And that's actually a really interesting thing about that version of Michael Myers, because when you see him, you're almost like, God, oh, I could take this guy. He's not hmm. he's not that much bigger. than He's not really bigger than me. He's the same size as me. I could take him. Yeah. And then when he holds you up against the wall and you can't do anything against him. That's when the weird, weird fear that that fear sets yeah. in and you're like, what, what the hell? Like, how, what is this guy? Whereas when you see the hulking Rob Zombie version of him, you're like, well, I definitely can't take this. I'm going to get the fuck out of here. Right. And it's 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 a different sense of fear. It's a different it's a different way. It's not as it's more in your face rather than being sneaky. Rob Zombie's Michael Myers was towering over Danny Trejo, who was no small guy himself. Yeah, he was he was massive. He was like I said, he was the Hulk. Yeah. He was he was he was scary. You, know, you see him. He would have fucked up Thanos, bro. You make a good point though, right? D- different perspectives, different styles, and and even though I might enjoy Carpenter's more as well, uh, I can appreciate that Zombie wanted to tell the story a different way. Yeah, um, and you know, like what what I also thought was interesting. Um, we both recently watched the Child's Play remake. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I love the the original one, so like oh, yeah. I really wasn't jazzed about a remake coming out. The for only sure. really strong selling point for me for it was that uh, Mark Hamill was doing the voice of Chucky, and I think he's a phenomenal voice actor. So I mm-hmm. thought that was good. Yeah, um, I can appreciate the fact that they they gave it a twist. They, you know, uh, yeah, I still like the original a lot more, and this wasn't it Without wasn't. A doubt. Yeah, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, honestly. It was okay, mm-hmm. um, I thought, um, en- enjoyable enough. But th- they, they gave it an interesting interesting twist where Chucky is not the a doll that contains the soul of a serial killer. I mean, I like that element of Chucky, but I understand why you would forego that. And they kind of just made it that he's a rigged kind of Alexa, basically. Yeah, um, it's a fresh fresh take. It's it's a fresh it's a fresh it's a fresh take and and he wasn't out to kill Andy, he was actually out to kill everybody else except for Andy because he wanted to be Andy's only friend in the yeah. remake. Again, I thought that was pretty interesting. Pretty interesting way to go about it. It they took a modern perspective, you know. Uh, personally, though, the same right that you just the original for me was so much more effective for for many reasons and uh, i guess it's a risk you take when when you want to try to reboot or reimagine something that's already been done very well yeah i mean dude i mean the the original chucky is so unsettling and creepy to me like that scene Mm -hmm. when the mom um pulls out the box and the batteries drop out and she realizes that <laughs> Chucky has been like talking and stuff with no batteries. It's yeah. like, what the fuck? You know, and, and and in the original Chucky, he wasn't like a walking talk. Like he would talk like he had like little phrases that he would say back to you, mm-hmm. like any toy that you would get in, in that time. But he wouldn't like, he couldn't walk around and stuff like that. He was very much a doll with a voice box. That's all it was. Yeah. 
So when you, he would show up in random parts of the house, it was really creepy because it's like, well, how'd he get here? But in the remake, he's very advanced. He's like a little robot. He can walk around and stuff. That's part of the, the features of the doll. So when you would see him in random parts of the house, it's not that weird because he can walk around. Yeah, I, I, I wonder how audiences, let's say that haven't seen this movie, but, but you know, someone who's going to turn 10 and see the movie for the, for the first time. And if they see the older one, how they would compare those two having a different perspective of, of the world at the time. Maybe the way voodoo is uh, viewed in the coming years compared to, you know, uh, fear of uh, artificial intelligence or, you know, something along those lines. Yeah, I, I guess they definitely played into the more like Terminator thought of, of artificial intelligence. And I guess that's a, a, a much more contemporary take. And I, I guess the, the whole message of the movie is different. Um, yes. and again, that, that's part of the things that I, uh, I, I appreciate. I appreciate the fact that they went that route with the new one. Yeah, they didn't try to just uh, carbon copy it. Yeah. I mean, that would be the worst. But you, you mentioned Batman. Um, you were talking about Batman. And yeah, I think I think um, this is something that we touched on a little bit last episode. But yeah, like T Tim Burton decided to do a, a Batman, uh, the Batman movies. And and um, it really changed the popular perception of, of Batman. Like at that time in the comics, Batman had become this more violent, uh, brutish, uh, brooding character. And Tim Burton's version of Batman was a little bit more of an, uh, an example of that. But in the, in the public consciousness, it was very much Batman 66, this very live action, but still kind of a cartoon hmm. version of, of, of Batman. You wore very light colors, uh, just right in your face, right? These, what's it, gray and, and blue, and they were, it was a light gray. Yeah, it was a light gray and a light blue and Robin with the with the red and the yellow. And, yeah. and it was all about sending the message to children to, to behave and follow the rules and eat your vitamins and, you know, all that stuff. You know, <laughs> uh, Batman is telling Ro lecturing Robin about wearing his seatbelt and, you know, so on and so forth. It wasn't taken. It wasn't a serious version of Batman. But Tim Burton comes in with Batman 89 and he brings in a serious version of Batman. And and something that I've mentioned to you before, his follow-up Batman Returns, I personally think is the better of the two. I like them both, but I actually thought Batman Returns was better than the original Batman, Batman 89. Uh, one of those situations where, you know, a person can argue that the sequel might be better than, than the first film. And it, I, I think we've mentioned before that, you know, um, we, we spoke about the idea that Sometimes when someone has, you know, a second go at something, uh, they might be able to return to it and do something more than they did the first time. You know, having gained that experience uh, going through a film uh, one time before. Just jumping right into the characters, right? Already having the backstory. Yeah, he doesn't, you know, the, the, one of the things that was better about Batman Returns that it was it was better paced. Batman... The, the 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 previous Batman was a little the, there were some slow parts here and there and but the 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 the, the sequel you kind of just jump right into it and that's one of the benefits that like like you said and that we mentioned earlier in this episode how you don't have to 
quote-unquote waste time introducing Batman and Alfred and, and Bruce Wayne and, and who the Wayne and Wayne Manor and Wayne Enterprises and all this other stuff that you need to know to really understand what's going on. Batman Returns, you already know who Batman is. You know he's Bruce Wayne, you know Alfred, you know Commissioner Gordon, you know, you know, you know all these people. So let's just go into it. Who's Penguin? Who's Catwoman? Who mm-hmm. are these people? Who are the and that's villains? another reason why I think Batman, uh, uh, the Dark Knight was better than Batman Begins. There was a lot of, yes, you introduce Batman and he, Bruce Wayne and how he becomes Batman and his training. And then you got to re- uh, introduce Rachel Ghoul and you got to introduce Scarecrow. Second movie, we already know all these people. We know what's going on. We know. Joker. Who's the Joker? You know, and, and that's why the Joker felt like more of the star, actually, than 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 uh, Batman did in, in, in The Dark Knight. That's right. A, a lot of people uh, reference the film by by the Joker. Yeah, he, he was definitely. And I think that was also this, the true for The Dark Knight Rises. I felt like Bane was more of more of the star than Batman was for that as well. People still go around um, uh, pretending they have a, a Bane mask on. Oh, now more than ever, dude. Everybody's got a Bane <laughs> mask on. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah. You merely adopted the coronavirus. <laughs> I was born into it, molded by it. Do I you... didn't see an N95 mask I was already a man. Oh. Do <laughs> you have any favorite sequels or, or even reboots for that matter? Well, you've mentioned the reboots already. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll answer that question, but I want to say something about Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. When Batman Begins was coming out, the concept of a reboot wasn't really around. Mm-hmm. That was like like one of the first real reboots. Um, so when it came out, I thought it was a prequel to Tim Burton's Batman. I thought it was just telling <laughs> the story of... Because in Tim Burton's Batman, Bat, Bruce Wayne's already Batman when the movie starts. There's no origin for Batman. Yeah. But in in Batman Begins, it tells the Batman origin. So I thought it was supposed to be a prequel. And, and you know, I was not phased by the fact that Christian Bale was playing Batman because we already had three other Batmans in the same, in the same series. Because even though Val Kilmer and, and uh, George Clooney played Batman, they were still kind of supposed to be the same Batman as the Michael Keaton Batman. It's still the same story. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, okay, fine. And then when he shows the Joker card at the end of the movie, I thought that that was supposed to be Jack Nicholson that they were alluding to. Mm. And it was like, okay, so now Batman Begins is over. And Batman. then it's Tim Burton's Batman that comes after. Um, and then when they announced that the, they were going to make a sequel to it, I was like, but they already made the sequel. Tim Burton's Batman <laughs> is the sequel, no? Like, that was like the first time I was like, oh, they're two different kind of timelines there's their tim burton and and the joel schumacher batman movies and then there's the nolan batman movies those are a different now it's very commonplace there's like five spider-mans and all this shit like (laughs) not five but you know what i mean like it's not it's not weird to us to reboot and and ignore old timelines and ignore old movies it's it's very commonplace now but back then in 2005 it was new yeah and and you know Nolan, from what I recall reading, had no intentions of making any sequels to that film. He was just taking it one at a time. He always told Bale that, you know, if, you know, the question came up, he said, if if we ever do a trilogy, I w- you know, or I would never do more than a trilogy, but 
Let's not even think about that. All we're really doing right now is just this one film. That's all we have uh, in our minds. And after that film yeah. finished and it became a success, then they came up to him and asked him, do you want to do another? And he said, okay, I'll do one more um, until they finished all three. And then they came back and asked him if he wanted to do a fourth. And that's when he shut them down. Yeah, I think that's right. I think tr three is a good number. I think a lot of a lot of strong movie series are a trilogy, like mm -hmm. Star Wars, Back to the Future, uh, Lord of the Rings. You know, I mm -hmm. think three is a good number. Um, but you asked me before, what are my favorite sequels? I do have I do have a number of favorite sequels. Like I said, I have a number of favorite remakes. I have a number of favorite sequels. I think Empire Strikes Back is the superior sequel. Mm -hmm. I think Terminator 2 is the superior sequel. Mm -hmm. um, I think Batman Returns is the superior sequel. I think The Dark Knight is the superior sequel. I don't want to get into the Marvel movies because they're kind of all sequels to each other and it's just endless. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're all in the same universe. So it's kind of hard to parse out and say, well, like, for example, yeah, Thor Ragnarok was better than Thor The Dark World. But also there was like five other movies in between that mm -hmm. are part of the same series so do those count you know so i don't even want to touch that because it's just too complicated yeah um and then um let's see yeah uh back to i think back to the future part two is comparable to the first part i think okay. they're pretty close yeah i agree um the two towers for lord of the rings is probably better than the fellowship of the rings i think Mm -hmm. I, I think um, some would argue uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. I do like it a lot. I do think Excellent Adventure is better, though. Another popular, another popular one is a lot of people like The Godfather Part Two more than Part One. I disagree yes. with that as well. I think Part One is better, although Part Two is close. Yeah. And another one is Aliens. A lot of people think mm -hmm. Aliens is better than Alien, but I think Alien is better than Aliens. I agree too, and I, I think. For me, both Bill and Ted's and the Aliens films that you mentioned, what's so great about them is that you have the same characters in uh, different films. They don't, both of those films operate differently from each other. Definitely. I mean, you can even argue that Aliens is a different genre than Alien. Yeah. Alien is a, yeah, they're both sci-fi, but Alien is a horror and Aliens, I feel, is closer to action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's horror I'm elements because you got monsters and shit, but I feel like it's more of an action movie than a horror movie. Sci-fi action, yeah. Yeah. A lot of, well, you know, one great sequel a lot of people forget about is Silence of the Lambs. It just doesn't ring like a sequel because it stands out so much further than, you know, the film that, that it came from. I, I, I... I hear that. I don't really think Silence of the Lambs is a sequel exactly in the sense that, yes, Mindhunter is the first book and then Silence of the Lambs is the second book. Mm -hmm. But I think that the, the Mindhunter movie and the Silence of the Lambs movie are not sequels to each other. They're just two movies that are based on books that are sequels to each other. Mm. Um, you see what I'm saying? I, I, I kind of see it. You know, there's sometimes relative films, like um, I would pair uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey with um, uh, with Tarkovsky's Solaris, where you have these films that, that are almost based around the same thing, 
or, or even maybe come from similar or, or related source material and then go off in, in their own directions. Oh, yeah. Th th yeah, there's that too, right? And then, like, there's also that question of if there's a movie that's based on a book mm -hmm. and then they make another movie that's based on the same book, is that movie a remake or is it just another movie based on the same ah. book? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because you're not really remaking the first movie. You're just making a new movie that's based on the same source material. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Like, like let's say Pet Cemetery. Uh. Is the new Pet Cemetery a remake of the original Pet Cemetery, or is it really just another adaptation of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery? Uh, you could probably make argument. Maybe it's both. But yeah. to me, it seems like they they looked more at the book than the original movie. We, we if anything, they probably. But you know what? Sorry, sorry. I know you tried to say, but yeah. but you know what though? I bet that they look at the original movie, even though they're basing it on the book, and they intentionally try to make it different than that. What do you think about what they did with with it? So it okay. So technically, the original it from the from nineteen ninety wasn't mm -hmm. a movie. It was a miniseries. Mm -hmm. So I would say that the it movie from a couple years ago and and you know the sequel which are both based on the same book just different parts um that i wouldn't say that's a remake i would say that's just an adaptation of stephen king's it book mm -hmm. that they're they're both adaptations of the book they're both adaptations of the book one was a miniseries the other was a two-part movie mm -hmm. i could see that yeah or like like you can also take um if you look at dr sleep Doctor Sleep, yes, is an adaptation of Stephen King's Doctor Sleep. However, it is still, I would still consider it a sequel to Stephen King's The Shining, mm -hmm. unlike Mindhunter and, and Silence of the Lambs, because Doctor mm -hmm. Sleep acknowledges all the changes that Stanley Kubrick made to The Shining book. Yeah. For example, spoiler alert, right? For example, in the book... Um, uh, what's Scatman Crothers' character's name? Dick Halloran. Dick Halloran, that's right. So, for example, in The Shining book, Dick Halloran is alive. He doesn't die. Mm -hmm. In The Shining movie, Dick Halloran dies. So in Doctor Sleep, Dick Halloran is dead. Mm -hmm. In the movie, he's dead. In the book, he's alive still. But in the movie, yes. he's dead because they want to keep in sync with Stanley Kubrick's. So that's that's how that's a little bit different than The Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. It's an adaptation of The Silence of the Lambs book, which is a sequel to Mindhunter, but it doesn't do anything to connect it to the Mindhunter movie, whereas the Doctor Sleep movie does directly connect to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Yeah. See how I'm saying how this shit's complicated? I got lost my breath just fucking talking about that. They just kind of figure out which rules they want to follow, which ones, you know, suit their needs sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> do you have do, based on besides any of the ones that I mentioned do you have any sequels that you think are better than the original um that is a hard that that is a hard question sequels that I think are better than their originals I I think a lot of times I end up liking uh sequels maybe as as much of some as some of the originals I I know that I've always loved Dawn of the Dead uh, Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's standalone, but it's still part of the same universe. So yeah, you could consider Dawn of the Dead a sequel. 
yeah, yeah, it is. And I always really like Day of the Dead, but probably not more than Night of the Living Dead. Um, the good, the bad, yeah. and the ugly is, you know, a great one. But that's we, true. That's another trilogy, right? The no no name trilogy. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is those are three standalone movies. Yes, and I think it's but they're the same character. And I think it's a rare instance where every sequel is actually better than the previous one. Mm-hmm. Like a few dollars more, I think, is better than a fistful of dollars. And then the good, the bad, and the ugly is, I think, better than a few dollars more. Yeah. So it just gets progressively better. That's rare for a series. They rarely just get progressively better and better. That is rare. That is rare. You, you know, th- there's another sequel that I'm I'm surprised, at least you haven't mentioned, maybe it's... Get your take two on Superman two. I mean, Superman two. I don't think is as good as the original Superman. There's also, again, we talked about this last time. There's two versions of Superman two. Ah, yes. You know, it's like you know. <laughs> so, like, which version of uh, Apocalypse Now do you like out of the three? You yeah. know, true. So, oh, oh my God, that's another fucking thing we got to talk about. Different cuts of the same movie. That are sometimes that sometimes drastically change the movie. Yeah. Like we're talking about Apocalypse Now. Every ver- every uh, out of all the three cuts, three three action. What is it? The theatrical, the Redux, and then what's the new one called? The, the, final the one that just cut. came out. The final cut. Like each one adds half hour on on top of the previous movie. <laughs> yes, his latest one is almost what. Four hours, I believe. The, the final yeah, I cut. didn't see it yet. You told me you saw it. I've I've only seen the the the, the previous two versions. Yes, Redux, I believe, was about three and a half hours long, which is almost forty five minutes longer, I think, than the original film, right? Yeah. And uh, F- Final Cut was was just about four hours, I believe. Uh, it was it was interesting because it, it feels like there were scenes that were extended or even takes that were not used in the previous versions that i had seen um yeah they do that too right alternate scenes alternate mm-hmm. takes yeah they, they that was the, the similar thing i mean not not as egregious but also um blade runner mm-hmm. there was a theatrical cut there was the director's cut which wasn't really a director's cut it was just another studio cut mm-hmm. and then there was the final cut which is the real ridley scott director's cut um, and, and the director's cut and the final cut are not that different from each other. Yeah. But they're both really different from the theatrical cut. The theatrical cut is definitely the worst cut of the movie. And it also yeah. has the narration, which the other two cuts don't have, which oh, is a yeah. huge, huge change in like the aesthetic and style of the movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, um, um... Yeah, that's another confusing thing. Like I was talking, I was talking to my friend, my, my friend, um, who said like, "Oh, you want?" He's like, "Oh, I, f- I finally watched Apocalypse Now." I'm like, "Which version?" <laughs> which version? He's like, "What do you yeah. mean?" He's like, "Well, the version." He's like, "The version that's on Netflix." And I'm like, "Which version's on Netflix?" I looked it up. I looked at the runtime. I was like, "Oh, it's low. It's probably the theatrical version." <laughs> it's low. It's only two hours and forty-seven minutes. Yeah, it's only two hours. It's only three hours, bro. That's not the that's not the best version that you saw. He was like, like what, "Fuck." What do you mean? I saw the shortest version. Yeah, but but again, it's confusing, right? It's like all these versions of the same movie, but it's the same movie, but 
Mm-hmm. Like, 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 it's almost like sometimes I'm scared to watch a movie because I'm like, oh, is this the definitive version? Is there a director's <laughs> cut that I should be watching instead of this? That's true. The director's cut is not always better. Like we saw Midsommar, right? Remember we went to the yeah. theater to see the Midsommar director's cut? Although still good, I still think yeah. I would have liked the movie a lot if that was the only cut. But it added an extra half hour that that kind of yeah. didn't really add much to the movie other than just kind of pad it and add, add, and add to the runtime. It was unnecessary. I think yeah. they, they made a good choice cutting it in the first place. And I wonder if the director's cut in you know air quotes here now is is just another way to keep selling tickets for the film it might have been i i wouldn't watch the director's cut again i I think that that extra half hour some movies sometimes it's well worth it the extra half hour yeah um but for midsommar although i love that movie i think it's one of the best movies i've seen in a long time i don't think the three-hour version is superior to the original version and i would say that i mean if you want to watch the three-hour version go for it i think it's still a great movie even with that version but i think your your act that half hour can be better spent elsewhere i agree the the theatrical cut was for me it was great did not need the extra 30 minutes no and it's already a slow burn movie you know so for for a lot of people that kind of is unappealing a lot of the time so to add an extra half hour on top of an already slow paced movie which is not a bad thing that it's slow paced but it just is that's the style of it so adding another half hour on top of that i think is just you're asking a lot of people i agree it it is a lot it is a lot but even the irishman like the irishman is a three and a half hour movie but it's so beautifully paced that Mm -hmm. i i personally did not realize that it was three and a half hours like if you didn't tell me that it's three and a half hours, I don't think I would have guessed that it was that long. And that's something that I felt repeatedly for Martin Scorsese movies. I felt the same way about mm-hmm. Wolf of Wall Street. That's that's three hours and a little bit, I think, or around yeah. three hours. I watch it and you could tell me it was two hours. I'd be like, yeah, it felt like about two hours. <laughs> like it's the the pacing is so beautiful in Scorsese movies. It doesn't matter how long it is. It, it goes fast for me, at least. I've noticed that feeling for, for Scorsese and even... For me, who I mentioned earlier, Tarkovsky uh, has the, his mm-hmm. movies are rarely ever under like three hours, and, and they always seem to pace well for for what the movie needs. Um, That's the most important thing, man. I've seen movies that are two hours where I'm like, after like forty five minutes, I'm like, <laughs> shit, man, is this thing still going? Like, how long is how long have we been here? <laughs> you know, it's all about the pacing. It's all about finding that rhythm and that beat. That's that's hard. It's not easy. You know, you you got to work with some good editors to really make that happen. Um, and, and I'd rather watch a three hour movie that's well paced than a two hour movie that's poorly paced. Cause I'll enjoy it more. Yeah. You know, and, and stepping just a few comments back to what we were saying about sequels. Um, there was a sequel that I really liked that came out recently. I'm actually, you could probably clarify this for me, uh, whether it was a sequel or a reboot or, you know, uh, Mad Max is Fury Road, right? Mad Max 2 is great. Um, that, there's another sequel that probably can be test, uh, tested as better than uh, the original. But then, you know, Mad Max Fury Road came out, and I've heard a lot of stories about it, how hard it was even to shoot it, that uh, Tom Hardy and uh, Theron, you know, were both under so much stress, and they had no idea what what they were actually creating with the film. But I thought, it, you know, it came out great. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a nonstop action movie. Like, like the action doesn't end. It's like it's like a it's like a continuous car chase for like two hours. Yeah, it's it's, it's amazing what they did with it. Yeah, just visually, it's it's a stunning movie. Uh, on the question of what is it in terms of a remake or <laughs> reboot, I think it's kind of like what I was saying about Candyman, mm-hmm. where it doesn't disregard the previous movies, mm-hmm. but it is meant to be like reintroducing the character of Mad Max to a new audience. Like the reason I'm saying like, I, I, I it, like for example, Tom Hardy wears that leg brace. Yes. From the injury that the, that the Mel Gibson version sustained. Yes. So that's obviously like a nod or a connection, you know, Something. that it's still the same Mad Max. Yeah. That makes sense. So I, I think, yeah. So I think it's it it acknowledges that the the other three Mad Max movies happened, um, but it's supposed to be a standalone reintroducing Mad Max to a new audience. And now that you bring up Mad Max, I have another sequel that's better than the original, and that is uh, Road Warrior. Mad Max Road Warrior, I think, is way <laughs> better than the first Mad Max. In fact, I don't really think the first Mad Max is that good. It's it's kind of boring. But Road Warrior is a fantastic movie. That's that's the reason I brought it up was that Road Warrior was was such a great film, and then so many years later, uh, you know, we have Fury Road. Well, there was also uh, Beyond Thunderdome, and then there was Fury Road. Yes, we don't we don't talk that much about that one. <laughs> I, I like the beginning of it. Like I liked the Thunderdome and all that stuff. I think once he left the Thunderdome. Mm-hmm. like that's when it kind of fell off like with the kids and all that shit but but um but 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 actually I, I, if i remember correct if i remember reading about this correctly um road warrior they 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 didn't want to call mad max road warrior mad max 2 mm-hmm. because they wanted it to stand alone they thought that if they called it mad max 2 it would deter audiences from going to see it because they would feel that they had to see the previous Mad Max in order to follow it. But if they called mm. it Road Warrior, then people would not realize that it's a sequel. And it doesn't matter. Like, it, it, it doesn't have anything to do, besides the fact that it's Mad Max and it's Mel yeah. Gibson playing the same character, it's very different from the first movie. Well, how, how great is it that we got, we got the director from the first three to come back so many years later and, and give us this fourth installment? Yeah, George Miller. Yeah, yeah, just the whole way. And, and I think I think there's a Furiosa, uh, Charlie Theron's character. I think there's a Furio- Furiosa movie in the works. I'm excited. I, I, you know, for me, even though you you maybe didn't like the first one as much, I I found them all enjoyable at least. I found all of them except for the first one enjoyable. Like I I really wasn't feeling the first one. I I thought it was kind of boring. I wasn't mm-hmm. really into it. But Road Warrior was like fantastic i thought it was great yeah but yeah and you know uh uh george miller was also supposed to do a justice league movie that fell apart Mm. yeah Yeah. it was fully cast and everything it was called uh justice league mortal was the name of the movie it was a standalone it wasn't like a sequel to anything um but he had it was all cast it was all cast that's too bad i I think he's, he's a good action director He's good. I think what ha- I think there was something that happened. Um, there was like a writer strike, I think, at the time, mm-hmm. 
and then the movie just went into production hell. Like, it just got shelved, and then nothing ever happened with it. That sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's a he's a really good uh, he's a really good action director. And Fury Road was all action. There was no breaks. There was no breaks once once the once the once the car started driving. That was it. They didn't stop. He uh, George Miller took some creative choices, some risks in in making even some of Fury Road, some of the uh, process and in, in capturing the footage, changing. Um, uh, changing the angle on, on the shutter and and shooting it at different frames, he really created this this otherworldly feeling with it. It just moves so different, and 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 you get that vibe as you watch the film. It's uh, it's so fast paced, as you said. It just keeps on moving. I was uh, I came out of the theater to to when I was watching that, mm-hmm. and uh, and this guy behind me, like he goes, "Hey man, like did you just did you just watch Fury Road?" And I was <laughs> like, I was like, yeah. And he goes, did you like it? And I was like, yeah, it was really good. I thought it was great. And mm-hmm. he goes, he's like, what? That movie sucked. And I was <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess for some people it, it wasn't, uh, I guess it, the the action and, and the cinematography, which I think was a, a big selling point, yeah. wasn't enough, I guess, for some people. It's it's not a film for everyone. I, I don't think so either, right? It's... Uh... It's a film of its category, and I think those types of films are—they have this this inspiration uh, that's based from the seventies. I can remember these films like Death Race two thousand, you know, these high-paced, driving, violent action films, or even uh, The Running Man. Right? You know, they have a certain yeah. vibe to them that that we don't see as often anymore. Cannonball, right? Cannon Run, I think it was. Um, yeah. They tried to remake them every now and then, but. Yeah, oh, they definitely, I think they made Death Race with Jason Statham at one point, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, not like the original film, which is a bit weird itself. Yeah, I, I can definitely see the inspiration from from those types of movies, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, you know, like my taste is I do like, there, there's no story really to speak of that much in, in, in Fury Road. I mean, there mm-hmm. is a basic story, but there is. it's not, the story doesn't really matter all that much all you need to know is these people are trying to get away from those people mm-hmm. the reasons they could be any reason it, 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 the story is not really important as much mm-hmm. and the story is pretty good i mean i like the story but it's not that important to, to to the appeal of the movie and you know like i'm a person that likes story but mm-hmm. if you can really like deliver on everything else that strongly like that movie did I'm okay with with giving giving a little leeway on a on a very easy basic story, you know. I I think in some movies they try to they try to sell you the story even just with the cinematography and the, and the movements of the camera, you know, those are the things that that write the story for you and they don't verbalize all of it. They they let your mind uh construct some of the reasons and just go along with it, right? And and if it's strong enough, like you said, uh, you buy it. You you say, okay, I'm I'm with you for this ride. Uh, it's just when when you're lacking one part, the the rest better be very strong. Yeah, and to be clear, I'm not saying that the story like it, it, I, I I liked the story. It's just that the story could have been anything, and the movie wouldn't really have changed that much, right? Yeah. The idea that they're saving the brides of this uh, like. Uh, 
mm-hmm. warlord and all that. Like it could have been any reason why he's after them, right? It, it, none of that really played that much of a role into the movie. That's what I was trying to get at. Yeah, and I think that that probably showed up in 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 the actors. If I recall hearing uh, Charlize Theron talk about how her and Hardy had uh, a lot of tension on set. And it's because they both didn't realize how insecure and, and afraid they were shooting this film when they had no idea what was going on during it. They just had to really trust George Miller uh, and, and his vision. And neither of them had any idea what to expect until, you know, they finally got to watch it. That must be really scary. Yeah, I mean, that's it is. Yeah, you, I guess you're putting all your trust in, in that one person that he knows what he's doing and that and that he's going to pull it together and put together a good movie. Yeah, because you're, when you're an actor, because of your lines and all that, you have a pretty good sense of what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, even though like maybe you're not involved in the editing, you're not seeing the movie being put together. But, you know, it's like, hey, I know what I'm saying. I know what's happening in this scene. I know that this is a good story, at least. And I yeah. know that it's well performed. But when you've got minimal dialogue and it's just a lot of, okay, you're in the car, you're driving, okay, mm-hmm. now look back, now do this, do that, okay. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of do. I mean, you're doing it, but yeah, you really have to trust that when all this gets put together, it's going to be, it's going to be phenomenal. And it was. Yeah. And and what a vision you must have in your head to, to be able to construct that and, and pull it together. I, I can't imagine keeping that whole story, that, that the whole idea, the vision in your head and, and, you know, getting others to produce that for you feels scary. It's scary, man. Yeah. I, I think you need to be well experienced yes. to, um, to, to put, to do like a Fury Road type movie. I mean, the, just, just having to tr- keep track of what needs to be shot when it's all action sequences. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's so terrifying to me. Yeah. Like, I think if I had to do that, I would start to cry. <laughs> Like, I think I would just break down into tears and start crying. <laughs> that reminds me, there's this, there's this uh, story, uh, you can find it online, of, of when uh, George Lucas was trying to get, um, <laughs> when George Lucas was trying to get um, David Lynch mm-hmm. to direct Return of the Jedi, and then David Lynch is recounting the story of when they met about it, and David Lynch just kept talking about how he started getting a headache and as their meeting went, it just started getting worse and worse and worse just because of the scale of it was so daunting to him. Yeah. You know? And there's a lot more weight to the movie, I guess, in in the public perception. Like if Fury Road flopped, I think people would kind of just move on. But if Return of the Jedi flopped, you know, the conclusion to like the biggest movie of like that decade, whew. And, you know, David Lynch must have been in some some of his younger years then. I mean, at this point for Fury Road, uh, George Miller had 35, 40 years directing experience of being in the business. I mean, maybe only oh, 15 yeah. so films, but yeah. Big, he knew what he difference. was doing. Yeah. Yeah. I guess overall, overall, I guess what we're saying is that... uh sequels remakes reimaginings reboots that there's a lot of potential for for greatness to come from them if they're handled in the right way yes if they're handled in the right way if they're done for the right reasons yes um i think i think yeah like i don't hate the idea of a remake or a reboot or a reimagining or a sequel or prequel intrinsically i don't 
I think a lot of people like just dismiss it and say, ah, oh, remake, ah, oh, terrible, no, no reason. A lot of the time, yes. A lot of the time, yes. If it's a big movie mm-hmm. that everybody that's beloved, that's so good, there's no reason for it. Nobody wants it. Nobody's asking for it. Yeah. You're not going to top the original. I mean, you might, but shit, man, that's that's a tough job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't hate the idea necessarily. Um, like, for example, I know that 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 Eggers is working on a Nosferatu remake. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that idea. I think I think I could go for a Nosferatu remake, to be honest. I could see his style blending well with it. Yeah, that's an example of yeah. Like even though I really like the original Nosferatu, and and it's black and white, it's silent. Mm-hmm. I can go for someone remaking that for for a new audience. I can go for that. And I know there's already been a remake, right? Herzog did a remake of Nosferatu, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I think but so. I, I think we can go. I think I can. I can go with a new Nosferatu. I think that would be good. I, I, I'm on board with that if it's done right. I'd be willing to entertain it, and knowing that that Eggers is is an auteur and and someone who who's at least in his two films handled them with a lot of care and uh, vision. I I feel okay with allowing him, if I'm even allowed to allow him to uh, remake su- such an incredible film he has your blessing he has my blessing he does and i was actually excited i was actually excited when when uh, they were going to do the universal monsters reboot yeah like i thought that was a cool idea to to redo i mean you know so far like it doesn't seem like it worked out for for them but i was excited about that i thought that was really cool to do another dracula another invisible man another uh, mummy another frankenstein and so on and so forth like i thought that was gonna wolfman you know all that and i know they're still kind of doing those kind of independently now but they were kind of building a universe out of it yeah originally that was the original plan i thought that was cool i, I thought that was a good idea like those movies are a lot of those movies are from the 30s and 40s they're they're not they're not necessarily appealing to a modern audience anymore Mm-hmm. And I thought those were due for a little re up, a little, a little, a little uh, modernization. They can be revisited um, with the right hands. Something can be molded. Yeah. But anyway, um, if anybody out there has any sequels, remakes, reboots, reimaginings, prequels, or whatever quill or re whatever requel that you love that we didn't mention or that we mentioned that you actually didn't like feel free to message us on instagram at spinning real films at on twitter at spinning real f or you can email us at spinning real films at gmail.com that's spinning real films r-e-a-l not r-e-e-l spinning r-e-a-l films And most importantly, join the cult. I'm trying to pump an eye to eye, raise my hands from my thighs, somebody's about to die, there's nowhere to go, it's surrounded by human friends, the adrenaline kicks in and it's like I lose my sense, your arm stretches out, towards my direction as I shift to my right, and throw your reflection, my first fist connects, but before I start defending, he had his fist cocked back, and couldn't start a set, I called one hit, two hits, got hit a third time, I step back, focused, I 
A chap up a cut, now I see you looking shook. Give you one hit and now you wanna fuck me. The money Tim stopping on your cuts, then I'm proceeding. Just spit it on your face, take my wind, then I'm leaving. Now every time you hear my name, you'll be proceeding. I do right, I do left. We both connected, we're both aggressive. On different head hits, chest protected, third eyes in trouble. The temple gets hit and collects the bubble. I do right, I do left. We both connected, we're both aggressive. On different head hits, chest protected, third eyes in trouble. The temple gets hit and collects the bubble. My knuckles bloody from my last fight, still hype Cause I see three pumps running from the corner of my eyes So I'm fighting, swinging, hitting everything, moving, throwing floods Cause I'll be damned if I'm losing Sidestepping, ducking an uppercut in the cross Sending back a hook that will connect with their jaws Two piece, two fools, set a spike type punch to the neck Check the deck, look like a wreck, so I flex One wasn't out for the count, my head became a meta Hit the floor and call five knuckles to the back of it I feel like a roach getting stopped on my shoes Forming bruises and cuts as blood slowly oozes I caught a second wind, kicked the first in his mouth Put the second in the headlock, then headed down south The third was left standing and shaking in his boots He threw a jab that I grabbed and used to rock his tooth I threw right, I threw left We both connected, we're both aggressive On different head hits, chest protected Third eyes in trouble, the temple gets hit and collects the rumble Round two comes through, ain't no belt to keep it clean. Survival of the fit, anything fits into the scene. It looked like a food fight, like I'm hit with the hinds. But I got hit with the hind, and there's blood down my eyes. We going at it, there's no equal and no ties. If you claim you a soldier, then how you gonna cry when you get hit and your boy split? Bitch, just face it, you ain't a man yet. He ain't a man yet. Trust me, it takes a lot to put me to the floor. It's almost like I'm helping you close that front door. The door shuts when you don't want anymore. Now you looking gore and your whole body is sore. You out of breath, can't gain it cause your lungs hit. Shit's spinning all blurred up and you ain't drink shit. Either way, you on the floor, knocked out. And that's what the fuck every shot is about.